Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew 25. We had such a blessed service last week, didn't we? It was so awesome, and it's been awesome, as Jamie said, to hear so many testimonies that have been given over the last month. Uh, we have another one coming up in the next week or two. And as I thought about that this week, it's not a coincidence that as we've been doing a series on giving, that this has happened. And what I was so pleased by and so encouraged by this week is that our focus has not been on money. Our focus has been on how God's been working in our lives and in our hearts. So we've, we've talked about, we present this report this morning, but think about all the words that have been said over the last two or three weeks that are just talking about what the Lord's doing, saving people, renewing people, getting people to stand up and give their testimony and be baptized, dedicating children this morning. I mean, it's, it's powerful. And I love that, that we've gotten the concept, right? We've gotten the concept that, that giving is not just about money. Giving is about giving everything to the Lord. Now, this is going to be either our last study, or we may do one more next week, uh, depending on how the Lord leads. But, but that theme's going to continue today. And I want to talk um, about some of the other ways that we can give to the Lord and some of the ways we can give to other people. And the impact that we have when we give that way. Now, giving, as I said, is not always about money. And if we only focus on the financial aspect of it, um, which is why I wanted Jamie, and, and Jamie did a great job of giving that report, not just here are the numbers, here's what happened, here's the cold hard facts. Talking about what the Lord did, talking about how the Lord blessed, talking about the ways we've been able to reach out in our community. You'll notice, too, that we spent double on discipleship than we budgeted. I'm all for that. If we need to go three times budget next year, I'm good with that, too. Because what's the job of the church? Outreach and discipleship, right? So if we're spending that way, it's not just about the money, it's about the lives that are changed. And that's why this study goes beyond the financial. This study goes about how we have stewardship with our lives. Because we need to be careful not to see, and I think we've learned this in our studies, that, that the Old Testament model wasn't obligation. It wasn't just, well, here's the command, here's the law, here's the tithe, here's what you do. We also need to be careful that we don't view the New Testament as just kind of reckless and free and just do whatever you want and, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. Giving is always a matter of the heart. It always comes back to where our heart was with the Lord. So when you look at Exodus chapter 35, 5, Moses says, give to the Lord out of a willing heart. Then thousands of years later, Paul tells the Corinthians, give as you've purposed in your heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. The message is exactly the same. It's not numbers, it's not percentages, it's not what do I have to do. It is what can I do? And how much can I give back to the Lord who's given so much to me? So the bottom line is that, that giving is really a fundamental distinction of our walk with the Spirit. Because when we're yielded to Him, and when our desire is for Him, giving will pour out of our lives we will see a different attitude and a different mindset. So our spiritual health and our maturity, that, that really uh, determines our attitude toward giving, whether it's financial or it's ministry or how we spend our time or how we use 
our gifts. So we have to continually ask, is my heart right before the Lord? Am I walking with the Lord? Am I yielded to the Spirit? Am I growing in my faith? Is, is sacrifice my default? And the stronger we reject sin, the deeper our faith goes, the more complete our surrender is, the closer we are to His presence, the more we are going to be willing to give in every single way. Now what struck me as I studied that this week is that none of that Surrender, salvation, walking with the Lord, being in His presence, giving back. None of that is possible without the preemptive generosity of God. None of that takes place. We don't even have this discussion without God's generosity. And He has given to us zealously. And He's given to us abundantly. And I want to recap, even though we know all the facts that I'm about to say, we've heard them thousands of times, but... but but the Spirit of God just put this on my heart to say this this morning, that we've got to recap. First, God gave us life. He gave us life. Not just a simple, mundane life. He gave us strong bodies and rational minds made in His image and His likeness. He gave us a heart and emotions that feel. He gave us skills and abilities that transcend any other creature. He gave us dominion over the earth, dominion over the animals. And then He adds His presence and His protection and His word and His promises. But He doesn't stop there. Man through callous, irrational, intentional sin, we've rejected him, we've resisted him, we've broken fellowship with him. And yet when that happened, what did God do? He reassured us that he loves us. And he gave us a law and commandments to guide us morally. And again, he gave to Israel, who was rebellious, his presence and his leading and his protection and his promises. Graciously, generously offering those things. And what does Israel do with that? Israel continues to turn away and not fear him and reject him. Him. And God at that point could have just commanded his justice to annihilate everybody. Never lose, fact, uh, never lose sight of the fact that God at any point could have just annihilated mankind. Just destroyed it. Just said, I'm done. I'm tired of it. It's not going to change. Instead, he did just the opposite. He sends Jesus to identify with us and, and live out our life and to teach us and to do miracles to prove his authority. And then Jesus takes our place in condemnation and shame and he goes to the cross and he crucifies our sin and he offers himself as our sacrifice. What a gift that was so that we could be saved and we could have eternal victory. And even knowing that billions would reject him, that billions would, would, would just say, I want nothing to do with you, God. God doesn't stop giving because through Christ, we have forgiveness. We have cleansing. We're adopted as his children. We have freedom from the control and bondage of sin. And then he says, I'm going to provide my presence 24-7 in the form of my spirit who's going to indwell you. And anytime you want to talk to me, you have direct access right to my throne of grace. And I'm going to give you the body and I'm going to answer prayer and I'm going to strengthen you and encourage you and you're going to hold my word in your hand and you're going to be able to sing praise to me and I'm going to bless you and help you and support you and protect you and encourage you and guide you and give you a ministry. 
All the things God has done to give to us. And here's the thing. He did all of that while we were yet sinners. Standing firmly against him, rejecting him, resisting him with all that we had, content in our sin, completely lost, going to hell. And God says, nope, I love you so much that I'm going to give to you while you're yet sinners. And even today, the person that hates him and curses him and resists him with all they have, if they will turn their heart and trust in him, God instantly will forgive them and he'll forget all of it. Imagine such a thing. So having done all of that, it's very reasonable that having already bought us with the price of Christ's own blood, he says to us, I want you to give your whole life to me. I want your life, and I want you to give it to me with joy and with gratitude. And then he says to us, everything you have is mine already, but I only want a part. And I want you to be willing to give it sacrificially and joyfully and trust that I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to bless you and I'll help you. And that includes how we spend our life. That's not just about our pocketbook and our checkbook and our credit card. That's about how we serve him, how we minister to people in his name, how we talk about him to other people, how we bless people in the name of Christ, and how we help those who are poor and disenfranchised and need somebody to love them. And I want you to see here, look at the text, chapter 25, what Jesus says about this. Start in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He'll separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put His sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave Me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited Me in. Naked, and you clothed Me. I was sick, and you visited Me. I was in prison, and you came to Me. Then the righteous will answer Him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger or invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Now this is a fascinating section of the Sermon on the Mount early in Jesus' ministry. And the reason we went back to verse 31 is so we would see that the context of this text, which we usually start at verse 34, the context is that Jesus is talking about the final judgment. And he says, when I come back after the tribulation, I'm going to gather all the nations before me. Everybody's going to stand before me. And I'm going to separate it into two groups. Notice that there's no middle group, right? There's no, well, we're kind of thinking about it. There's the sheep, and there's the goats. The sheep are the ones who trust him, follow him, love him. And he says many times, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. They hear me and they listen to me. So on the right hand, excuse me, I got it wrong. On the right hand, which is the hand of blessing, on the right hand are the sheep. On the other side are the goats. 
And the goats are those who have rejected God and turned against God and had nothing to do with Christ. The only point of separation between right side and left side is what you do with Jesus. It's not about how many works you did. It's not about the prayers you said. It's about whether you trust Jesus with your life or you don't. There's nothing else. There's no other point of delineation. There's no appeal based on works. There's no special privileges. But then Jesus says there's going to be another distinction. Look back at it. He says there will be another value that will be a true characteristic of those who are part of the kingdom. It's the people that have ministered to him by ministering to other people. He says... His people feed the hungry, and they give water to the thirsty, and they welcome the stranger, and they clothe the naked, and they visit the sick, and they go to those in prison. And it's through that ministry to those who seem less than, not who are less than, but who seem less than, who culture and society says, you're nothing, you're worthless, you're sick and poor and impoverished, and we don't care about you. Let's never as a church have that mindset. They're not less than, they just have different circumstances. But culture says, well, we don't have any time for you. Jesus says, no, here's the value of my people that love me. You're going to go help them. In fact, in John, 1 John 3, 17, the Spirit says, if you have plenty and see a brother in need and don't help them, how can you say that the love of God abides in you? That's a pretty convicting question, right? The Lord is calling us out, look back at the text, as to whether we love him. And if we love him, it will show in how willing we are to give and minister to those in need. And that's an important valuation point, not only for our lives, but for our ministry. And I believe we need to give more intentionality about ministry, more intentionality about outreach, more intentionality about missions, more intentionality about financial changes that are honoring Christ in the way Matthew 25 describes. Now that being said, we've already talked about the implications in terms of money, but there are two other areas, and I want to encourage you to write some notes this morning, two other areas in which there's a greater need for sacrifice. Area one is our time, and area two is how we use our gifts and abilities. So let's look at a couple passages. I'm going to turn you around this morning. Go down to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and let's see how God instructs us on this. Ephesians 5, verse 15, I'll read as you turn. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, usually we apply this passage kind of as a warning. Be careful who you spend time with. Be careful where you spend your time. Don't get pulled into the, to the trap that the enemy sets to try to corrupt us. But I want you to notice that Paul is talking about walking wisely. And he says we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, 2, Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians says the will of God is your sanctification. 
Want to know what God's will for your life is? God's will is that you be like Christ. God's will is that you be holy. He'll, he'll take care of the future. He'll take care of the plans. He'll take care of what lies ahead. If you will just be holy and trust him, if I will just be holy and trust him, God will establish his will and his leading for us. So we kind of see this passage, I think, a little bit neg- negatively. Like, be circumspect and look around as you walk and be careful, their traps are on. And, and that's a true interpretation. But, but there's also a positive application. How do we treat our time as a valuable commodity? If, as you left this morning, I handed you $168 to spend, however you want, you'd be excited, right? What would you buy with $168? How about if I handed you $61,320? How many know there'd be a line at the door like, yeah, pastor, bring it on. 61 grand, right? I love this church. This is, this is a great church. I'm coming to this church every week. I would never be so popular as if I'm just handing out $61,000. And once you hold that in your hands, you wouldn't be careless, Right? You wouldn't throw it on the ground. You wouldn't say, I don't have any need for that. First, based on our studies, we'd want to give a nice portion to the Lord. And then we need to pay some bills, and we need to get things to improve our lives, and we need to save some so we're wise and planning ahead. Because I don't know about you, but for me, 61 grand would go a long way. 168 would go a long way. The Lord's handing you 168 hours this week. He's giving you 168 hours, and I promise you, they're more valuable than cash. So how are you going to spend them? In 2018, the Lord's willing to give you 61,320 hours. How are you going to spend them? What's going to be the use of our stewardship? How many of those hours are going to go to the Lord? Not just coming to church. I'm talking about time in His presence, studying His Word, being, being people that call on his name. How many will go to spreading the gospel? How many will go to advancing his kingdom? How many go, will go to discipling people and ministering to those in need? Because you and I both get the same amount. 61,320 hours. And here's the thing. You and I can always make more money. But we can't get more time. It's limited And it's irretrievable. And we need to spend it very wisely. Because unlike money, there's no savings and there's no debt. We only have what we have. And I would bet that the biggest regrets that we have as we look back at our lives are likely not over money. They're over time. I hear people say, I wish I could go back and relive that. I wish I could have spent more time with with those people that I loved. I, I wish there were more years ahead. I can't believe how fast it goes. It's amazing how quickly Julie and I went from doing what we did this morning, dedicating our little babies and holding our babies in our own, to to now Jacob's home from college and Annie's halfway there and Matthew's not far behind. I remember the day Jacob was born, my brother said to me, appreciate every single day because you won't believe how fast it goes. And I've never forgotten that. But we as a culture, what have we done, right? We've abused time. We're careless with time. We don't value time. 
And in the 80s, the pursuit of wealth became so important that we didn't evaluate the cost as families were broken and divided and kids were disenfranchised. And now we wonder as we hand them expensive, valuable technology that costs thousands of dollars and we wonder why they're so attached to it. Why won't they spend any time with us? Redeeming and prioritizing our time shows that we value what the Lord has given to us. He's given us 168 hours this week. And it shows that we need to understand the the balance in how we live. Managing and spending time with Christ and maturing in our faith so we're worthy of His calling. And working so we have value and so we earn money and we're respectable. And and building and strengthening relationships uh, because that's essential and exercising and, and playing and taking care of our bodies and, and getting those endorphins in our, in our mind and in our heart and then resting because rest is biblical and rest restores and refreshes us. If you watch the stock market, if you watch Bitcoin, you know that money fluctuates, but time is a constant. And as the old plaque used to say on my dad's desk, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So how do we spend our time? What's it look like this week? My schedule's crazy. It's all over the map. How are we going to value that? How are we going to prioritize that? And then that goes into the second area. Turn over a couple pages to Philippians chapter 4. The second area where giving comes into play is our gifts. How do we use the gifts that God has given to us? Now the financial usually aligns with our gifts. Whether there's an abundance by which we can use it to give in a certain way. Or whether there's a lack And we have to use a different set of gifts. Either way, we are called to spend and give what we've been blessed with. So here in Philippians 4, Paul talks about the financial. Because the church in Philippi was a generous church. Corinth was stubborn, rebellious, sinful. Galatia was arguing about theology and they couldn't find any alignment between the Jews and the Gentiles. Ephesus was prone to to, uh, materialism and to the culture because there was a great temple to Diana uh, in, in Ephesus. It was a crossroads of the country. But Philippi, this little church, they blessed Paul. I love the book of Philippians. And he says to them, I rejoice greatly. No, let me not start there. Let me start in verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church, notice that, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, even when Paul was in Thessalonica establishing the church and setting it up and discipling and ministering to people, they didn't give. 
Paul goes all around Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi, Berea, uh, Thessalonica, Corinth. All these churches that he establishes throughout Asia Minor. And not one church gives to him. But Philippi not only gives to him, but when Paul's in Thessalonica, they send an extra gift. And Paul says, look at it. He says, your faithfulness supported the ministry so I wasn't distracted. This is less of an accounting issue as it is spiritual profit that the Lord is going to put on your account. In fact, when you read verse 19, which we know well, right? My God should supply all your needs according to his riches, glory in Christ Jesus. We quote it almost, almost like it's rote. But everything in context, right? Don't just pull the verse out. Because look at what he's saying. He said, the Lord will supply what you've needed. Why? Because you've been generous with him. Because you've given freely. Because you've given consistently. God now will supply what you need because you've been faithful to him. It's a very important spiritual principle. The supply of the Lord is more generous when we've been generous to his work. Supply of the Lord is more generous when we've given generously to his work. And the effect of this is it blesses and encourages people. I titled this message the Grandpa Principle because my grandfather was an amazingly generous person. And he led and set an example for our family that exists even today. My grandfather had a great love for the Lord. He was very humble very sincere, and the Lord blessed him with a brilliant mind, but a very gentle heart. He wasn't a pastor, but he blessed a lot of pastors, and he gave in a, in a powerful way to, to have an impact. In fact, I was back in my office as we were singing those first two songs, and it had registered to me after Lynn sent me the song list, Great is Thy Faithfulness is my grandfather's favorite song. And we sang that this morning, and I thought about him, very successful. He and his brothers owned the largest bakery on the East Coast, Dugan Bakery, headquartered right by Kennedy Airport on Long Island. Consummate, consummate businessman, and yet very full of integrity to the extent that the mafia actually put out a hit on his life because he refused to give in to their blackmail. He was trailed, had to leave his house 3 o'clock in the morning and there would be a car that would follow him. He'd worry he carried a gun because he was worried he was going to get shot. After he sold the bakery, and that was of the Lord, that's too long a story to tell you, he could have just retired. He had enough money. But over the next 10 years, he drove all over the country to promote Denver Seminary, not only not taking a dime, but spending his own money to travel and support the seminary and future pastors. And it was totally under the radar. He never had a title, never drew attention to himself. And he and, his, he and my grandmother supported my parents. In the early days of ministry, straight out of college, they drove from Wheaton to California in a car with no air conditioning, not knowing if there would be a job when they got there, not knowing if he had been accepted to seminary because there was no technology, so they drove across the country for their honeymoon. And when they got to California, they found out. And my grandparents supported them and gave to them because they knew the demands of ministry and they knew the pay, especially back then, was inconsistent. It was nothing. My dad traveled for 25 years going from town to town doing five, six, seven, eight nights of crusades. Sometimes he got paid. I remember one time he got paid with a pair of boots. 
Hard to put chicken on the table with a pair of boots, right? Another time I remember he came home with a schnauzer. That was his, that was his offering. <laughs> Cute little doggy that we had for about 12 years. You travel, you spend your own money, you preach your guts out, you pray, you minister to people, you pray with them six, seven, eight nights, and they hand you a dog. So my grandparents knew that there were going to be times when they needed money. So they provided money to help with a house. They provided money to help with cars. They provided money, checks, just at the right time. And that had a powerful impact on my parents and on us kids. I'm not bragging about my family. I have a point. Because my parents repeated the same pattern of sacrifice and generosity when my brother and I both went into ministry because we were called to it. And they supported my sister and her husband in their early days until my brother-in-law became a, a highly successful businessman who now gives deeply, generously to ministries and supports pastors. And I saw my grandparents' example of sacrifice in my own life from when I was a kid, and he would say with a smile, my grandmother had a great smile, he'd say, hey, bud, you travel, you, you swim to the other end of the pool underwater, I'll give you $5. This was in the 70s. That's like a 50 now. My parents would be like, no, dad, don't do that. No, come on, come on, you can do it, right? And I'd get about three quarters of the way, <gasps> and he'd say, here's your five. To the fact that when Julie, when I turned 21, they gave me a check that was enough for the first down payment of our house. And again, my parents took that, and then they passed down that legacy of giving, offering support and encouragement, giving us furniture, helping us with our house, buying us a car, supporting this church. See, the point is, again, please hear me, I'm not talking about my family. I'm talking about the principle that when we're generous with our time and our money and our gifts and we use them well, it influences other people and blesses them. Now, the principle is established. Turn back a couple pages back to Ephesians. Let's look at one more text and then we'll pray. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. Let's bring this to a close. Paul writes, to be specific, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, because that was the big conflict in the early church. They're fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of whom I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me. According to the working of his power, to me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages had been hidden in God, which created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God may now be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What's Paul saying? He's saying not only do the Gentiles have credibility as part of the body, but I'm also reinforcing my calling because in Ephesus they gave Paul a hard time and kind of questioned, are you real? Like, we know you used to kill Christians. Like, should we listen to you? But notice very carefully, notice the verbs, what Paul says. He says, God gave me a minister by the gift of his grace, which was given by God's power. And that grace was given so he could preach to the Gentiles the riches of Christ and bring light to those who are in darkness. 
God gave to him. Paul says it three different times. God gave to me so I could give to others, introducing them to Christ through my words and actions so that they will stand as an example of how God transforms lives in a selfish culture. So imagine what we can do to influence people for Christ. Because we spent four or five minutes at the start of the study talking about all the things that God has done for us. And we may never know the impact of being willing to give our time and use our gifts to serve the Lord, but let me close with one very powerful, very personal example. We know this week, this week that Billy Graham went to heaven. Estimated that 215 million people heard him preach. Billions knew his name. But you may have never heard of the name of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball led D.L. Moody to faith in Christ. And under D.L. Moody's ministry, Wilbur Chapman was saved. And then Wilbur Chapman preached and Billy Sunday got converted. And then Billy Sunday preached and Mordecai Ham got converted. And Mordecai Ham preached and Billy Graham got saved. Billy Graham preached at my dad's installation service at Calvary Church in Charlotte, where later I got saved. We became friends with the Grahams. I got a taste of ministry early on when I was in high school because we used to go visit Billy Graham's mom. We used to go over to her house and hang out, and she'd be all decked out in pearls and a dress on a Sunday night, like, and she'd serve us cookies and tea, and we'd hang out with Mrs. Graham. My calling to ministry was affirmed at a Billy Graham crusade in Fort Lauderdale. My dad discipled Billy Graham's son, Franklin, when Franklin was really rebelling against the Lord and traveling around Europe, just kind of wandering, not knowing what to do. He called my dad. I remember the call, and dad discipled him. And then dad became good friends with Franklin and was on the board of Billy Graham. Now my brother's vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelist Association and he works with Franklin who spoke at my dad's funeral. It started with Edward Kimball. Being willing, being able, being ready, being, being, being giving his time, using his gifts, doing what he could to serve the Lord and that takes us all the way up to today, February 25th, 2018 in Racine, Wisconsin. Would I be here if not for Edward Kimball? Maybe, but there's a connection, right? Edward Kimball's not getting a motorcade. People aren't standing on the side of the road to, to honor Edward Kimball. You may not have even known his name. And yet Billy Graham, Mordecai Ham. Billy Sunday, Wilbur Chapman, D.L. Moody, Edward Kimball. What will you do with 160 hours this week? What will you do with 61,320 hours this year? That's what God wants us to ask.